a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Something Cinematic, the movie and television podcast where we talk about what we've been watching. This is episode number 38, and I'm your host, George Lopez, with Mike Gonzalez. How you doing? All right, so uh, it's been a couple of weeks, maybe like a month or so, month and a half, whatever. Been a little while, yeah. But um, three, four months. Yeah. So uh, you know, we got. Uh, we're That's gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna talk about House of Cards, very popular show right now. Everyone's talking about it. Um, but before we do that, we are going to talk about a classic, a hey. kung fu classic, a modern classic, Rumble in the Bronx. So, before we get started, remember that you can find all of our episodes on our website, somecinema.com, on iTunes, and you can subscribe on uh, both, uh, you know, both of those uh, places. Um, so, Rumble in the Bronx, for those that don't know, is a movie starring Jackie Chan from 1995. So, it's been almost 20 years. Holy shit. But, um, yeah, so it's about, is Jackie Chan a young, young buck? Uh, I, th- I believe this is his first American movie. It, uh, yeah, it is. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is a movie that that put Jackie Chan on on the map here in the U.S. And you know, it's it's about uh, this guy that comes to New York from China for his uncle's wedding, and also kind of gets into tr- some trouble with a uh, with a local gang, and amazing kung fu and just other hilarious shenanigans ensue. And classic Jackie Chan. <laughs> environmental fight scenes where he uses everything around him mm-hmm. and does all his own stunts. I yeah. mean, this is like, yeah, this is what people know. Uh, aside from, like, Drunken Master and Super Cop, the ones yeah. that came before that, but those were, yeah. those were the ones that were generally only, like, you know, importer ones. Or, I mean, those are, like, you had to be, like, a kung fu fan ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, this is kind of when, when Jackie Chan hit his apex. Right. Before that, he was, I don't know if you remember, uh, he was, like, kind of seen as the standard bearer after, after Bruce Lee. That's what they wanted him to be, at least. Yeah, and it was it, it would become obvious over the years that that was never going to be the case. He's not <laughs> right. that type of guy. He has more of a comedic element to him. Absolutely, yeah. And it's almost like physical comedy. His his kung fu, right? So right. this was like him, kind of when he really hit his groove. Yeah. Who uh, who he would you know who he become? Right, and also because um, he's also really well known because he does his own stunts. So like yeah. and like the way when this movie was first advertised in the U.S., I remember um, I was I think thirteen years old or so, uh, and and I was just watching the previews for it and just some of the crazy just like shit he was doing, like climbing a fence, just like remember that scene where he's like <laughs> trying to run away from these gang members and he just like jumps kind of like. Off the wall, off the fence, like, and just walks uh, his way up over the fence. Like, just, it was amazing. Just so we can clarify, the listeners can't see your brilliant <laughs> choreography you're doing with your hands. My, my fingers. <laughs> um, but no, it, like, I just remember totally being blown away by that preview. Yeah. And I actually watched this movie, like I said, when I was, I think I was like, yeah, I was like 13 years old. Mm. I went to watch it with, with a couple of friends and a teacher. I was in seventh grade. And I had never seen anything like it before. And I just remember totally being blown away, and I became. I instantly became a Jackie Chan fan, mm. um, and yeah, it was just really cool. It's nothing like a lot of people in, in America had seen at the time, you know, like just, mm. just crazy stunts and amazing fight choreography. And so I recently rewatched it. You know, mm. like I said, it was one of my favorite uh, movies from from my uh, from my youth, and it's the reason why I became a big Jackie Chan fan. Um, but I recently watched it, right? <laughs> and 
it's you know like how sometimes you watch you, you hold this movie up on a pedestal from your childhood and then you watch it again you're like oh my god why did I like that movie so much like is that is that what is that what happened here because no, I'm gonna get I, up and walk out of no this no movie. no okay so like th- that uh, this movie first of all it does not hold up wow it does not hold up uh, but uh, I will say that I still love this movie and and like I just didn't realize how cheesy everything was like the dialogue and, uh, and just like how obviously there's like a shitload of plot holes in this movie like it's just insane like mm. especially the actions that some of the FBI people do you know perform in this movie yeah like it's like what the fuck is happening with the hovercraft I don't know if you remember all this stuff. <laughs> I remember but all it was this. pretty terrible it's but funny before we recorded you uh, you sent me a message saying you wanted to talk about this movie and mm. if I had seen it recently or something and yeah. I, I said like I, I don't I think it's cool you remember where you were like how you saw it yeah I don't remember where I first heard of this film or when I first saw it. I feel like it's always been in my life. Yeah. I've seen it probably 40 times. Uh, I don't remember how old I was. I assume uh-huh. if it came out then, I probably saw it when I was around the same age you were. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Like I said, I just feel like it's always been in my life. Yeah. I've seen it a million times. I used to show it on like USA Network all the time. Yeah. This movie, like, it's one of my favorite movies. Uh-huh. It's like I was, I'm not just a Jackie Chan fan. I was like for a time obsessed with Jackie Chan. Yeah, I there's one of one of my proudest movies that I own is an imported copy of a movie called Wheels on Meals. Uh-huh. It's a Jackie Chan movie, uh-huh. uh, but it's like never released in America, and it's it's one of like the most quirky, weird, funny kung yeah. fu movies I've ever seen. <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. But I'm like, I love Jackie Chan. Yes. And watching I mean, this movie, the idea that you could say it doesn't hold up, no, okay, is ludicrous dude, okay, like if if you have if someone watches it today that uh, had never seen this movie before, they would be like, "What the hell am I watching?" Uh, because it's just so corny, so cheesy. The dialogue is terrible. The acting is terrible. Oh yeah, it's all terrible. And uh, but but at the same time, because because like like you, I loved it so much growing up, and uh, I watched it so many damn times growing up. Um, that it has like a special place in my heart as well. Like yeah. it made me feel very nostalgic, and uh, and this is yeah one of those movies. Regardless of all those flaws that it has, uh-huh. will always be one of my all time favorite movies as well <laughs> because it's just like one of those comfort movies. You know, it's like we just want like it just brings joy into 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 your day just watching mm-hmm. this movie. And like that's something that I kind of remembered when I rewatched it a couple of uh, days ago for the first time in years. Yeah. Um it, it's just a really fun movie to watch, man. There are so many things you mentioned like the the bad acting. Uh-huh. And a lot of that to me is first of all it's not yeah, it's not great acting, uh-huh. but I think a lot of it is also due to the fact that the dubbing is so terrible. Yeah. Like there are characters yeah. who are American or at least American looking Anglo. Yeah. They're clearly you can read their lips they're speaking english yeah but they're dubbed as though they are speaking japanese or chinese right and that there's an uh, like a bad english dub over it <laughs> right yeah. it's, it's hilarious uh, it's, i think i think you have to view this movie i think you're right that if somebody like you know a 14 year old were to watch this movie or it, even an adult you uh, know that's never you well know, i mean someone from the kind of this generation who's yeah. never seen it and is right. unfamiliar with movies of that time yeah might watch so, it and be like oh this is not like yeah, this is right, terrible yeah. i don't know what you're talking about mm. but I, I i feel like part of the charm is you have to get your head into the space of where he's coming from with his movie yeah. and his movies and this one in particular uh it's almost like a cartoon 
the, the like the way the characters act, the way they behave, the yeah. exaggerated nature of everything. It's like a cartoon. I'm glad you say that too because when I when I when I was rewatching it too, mm-hmm. yeah, because of the dialogue and everything, I was like, wow, this totally reminds me of like maybe like a Hayao Miyazaki movie, like yeah. just something like that. Because it's like yeah, like the way the voice acting is, mm-hmm. it's just like a little kind of over the top, a little exaggerated, mm-hmm. just like you would see in just like. Yeah, and, it, and even like Japanimation or, or you know, whatever. Like mm. in those kind of animated movies, yeah. So like I was like, this could be, yeah, you're right, an animated movie. Um, but obviously it's live action and everything. But yeah, I, I totally got this, you know, I felt the same way. Yeah, and there are moments where, as you said, like characters don't behave like they would behave mm. in real life. But that's the thing, they're not supposed to. Yeah. It's like they behave as they would in this wacky universe. Yeah. Like that uh, the FBI would be like, all right, you can do this. And like yeah. when he's not like... It's something like, really like <laughs> throw him the keys to a hovercraft and right. let him track down yeah, a criminal. Exactly. It's like that would never happen. But yeah. in mean, like in in a cartoon that would happen in a cartoon yes. like in that kind of heightened like wacky environment. Uh-huh. And obviously, like the the kung fu, the like the the choreography, the fight choreography, it is like this is him at his best. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I wouldn't say at his best. Uh-huh. I actually I think um, rewatching it, it made me appreciate a lot of his other movies a lot better. Like. Like you mentioned, oh well, um, the the Legend of the Drunken Master. Yeah, like that movie is just so damn good. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, but every, again, I feel a like that's things... a different. When I think of Jackie right, but, Chan, but I what, think of talk... him using the environment, right, and right, right, right. like that. Yeah, but I'm I'm referring to like the the actual fighting. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Like Jackie Chan at his best when it comes to fighting and the choreography. Uh-huh. I think this is like almost like a sample of what was to come for him as as an action. action Wasn't star. Drunken Master released before this? Well, uh, I'm not sure. Well, it, it got released. I'm pretty sure it got released in America later. Uh-huh. You know, like there was there was definitely was like the Chinese version of it, um, but it was something that I don't think was released, you know, on DVD until after Rumble in the Bronx. I might be wrong about that, but I just remember like I, I definitely watched that afterwards, and yeah, I just remember yeah, that Dragon Master was in 1978. 1978. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm par- I think it was part two. I think what well, was part two? Because it was a part two, right? The Legend of Dragon Master part two. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Because I know, like, obviously, like, this is... The, the reason he was such a big star in China in the first place is because of movies like that, you know? But but here in the U.S., we didn't get we didn't see a lot of those movies yeah. until later. The Legend later. of Drunken Master was uh, the year before Rumble in the Bronx. The year before, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny, like, scrolling through his IMDb page, like, he's like, like Woody Allen, where he just <laughs> every does year. a movie every year. <laughs> Only and he directs a lot of these films. He didn't direct that one. Uh, that one was uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Is directed by the, the director of Super Cop and Super Cop Two. His other movies. Yeah, uh, did a few of Jackie Chan movies. But like when you're pumping out movies like Jackie Chan, is, <laughs> it's like one person can't be in charge of directing all of them. Right. Like he'll release two movies a year. Yeah. But but also another, another movie I, I, was First Strike. Jackie Chan's First Strike uh-huh. was I, I believe that was also after Rumble in the Bronx. And so like I think the fight choreography choreography was actually better and the fight scenes were a little bit better in that too you know what mm. I'm saying and so I think in the US you know he started become he became a little bit you know better well I mean like, they were well still ma- out they everything. were still like you know very much Hong Kong or Shanghai action yeah Hong Kong action films mm-hmm. like it, the, his production team was still out there everybody who his choreographers was out there everybody mm. it was still very much a production every once in a while he would dabble by shooting a film in America or Australia more likely Australia, uh-huh. uh, and it maybe that's why the dubbing was so bad because they were all Australian actors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, there, another actually Jackie Chan movie that comes to mind. Uh, now that you mention it, um, Mr. Nice Guy. 
No. No. Oh, jeez, <laughs> I forgot all about that. I love oh, all of them. Gosh. No, there was it, another one. Um, the reason Rumble in the Bronx is why I think of that as his best is uh, because, like I said, not only that kind of the physical comedy aspect of his fighting, mm-hmm. but also it's like <clears throat> when we got him there. I mean, like you mentioned, young. He wasn't that young. Mm. <laughs> like, he was already, like, in his 30s yeah, like, at that point. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that that we got we finally got Rush Hour. Yeah. Like, it was, like, four or five years after that that we got Rush Hour. Yep. And Rush Hour was already, it was Jackie Chan past his prime. Yeah. So, like, the young him was, like, Drunken Master, Legend of Drunken right. Master. Right. And, and that's why I feel like Rumble the Bronx was kind of when he was really willing to do, like, all the crazy physical yeah, stuff. Yeah. And you see those fight scenes. Like, one of the great things about all Jackie Chan movies, or almost all of them, is that there's a gag reel after the film yeah. in which they'll show him screwing up those, like, crazy stunts he's doing. Yeah. And, like, just how painful it yeah, is. Exactly. Like, how... the guy got hurt so many damn times, yeah. you know? And, yeah, it's... Like, crazy. he just couldn't keep that up. It's crazy, yeah. Much longer. And, um... But, you know, even though, like, he is a really good comedic action star or whatever... Uh-huh. Um... He's actually a really good dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a movie Police Story too. Mm-hmm. I have you ever seen that? I've seen it's Police so Story good, and it's like very actually like it's extremely deep. And I mean, there are some very very tough scenes that he has in that movie. Mm-hmm. Very dramatic and and emotional, and he's like so good in that. And it's a mo- one of those movies that I watched. It's like uh, I, re- I I don't expect much from this because mm-hmm. I never even heard about it. Um, but I actually loved it. Like I thought it was really, really good. And he's just, he really is a, a, a good uh, dramatic actor. And even like uh, to a lesser uh, scale, I guess, like um, the, the new the reboot of the Karate, the Karate Kid. Kid. I was gonna bring that up. He was really good in that. He too. was good in that. It, it's actually as much as I was opposed to the very creation of that movie. Yeah, that wasn't a bad movie. It was not a bad movie, and he was great. So like Jackie Chan, and 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 so I'm hoping to see more stuff from him. In, in that well he like is genre. I mean now that's what we're seeing because he stopped he's, he said he's gonna stop doing those kind of movies action movies and especially doing his own stunts and everything mm-hmm. because obviously yeah he's getting up there in age and yeah. his body can't hold <laughs> up as well and he's probably uh, feeling all the all the injuries he's had in his whole career like have probably set him back a little bit too mm-hmm. um, but like he's a great actor and uh, Rumble in the Bronx man it's just a you're really holding out hope he's gonna get Van Damme or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean He's going to get JCVD'd? No, I don't think so. I <laughs> he think... is actually, he's directing uh, more like serious, directing and starring in like more serious films. Yeah. Unfortunately, because of that, they're not getting wide releases in America. Right, right. Like people in America want to see Jackie Chan doing flips and stuff. Yep. Yeah, but he did like some, uh, the stuff he's doing right now in, in China is very much Chinese historical dramas and, and things like that. And it's also, we've kind of seen, mm. sadly, in his like, his public persona he's not he's not that favorable towards the United States anymore mm-hmm. and I yeah, think it's gonna... reflected in his work that he's doing a lot of historical Chinese dramas in China you know I, I feel like he he has a lot of disagreements with American foreign, poli- foreign policy as mm-hmm. many foreigners and, and Americans do yeah and uh, and yeah so I, I feel like he's not making movies necessarily for Americans anymore right, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I, yeah I'm still interested to see what he's doing because it's not like he's I, I I still I, I I like him as a director and I like him as an actor. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So like, if if you guys have not seen this movie before, you know, obviously, like we said, it's good. There's going to be a lot of terrible acting in it, a lot of terrible dubbing. Um, it's a little over the top, but it's a really fun movie to watch. And yeah, one of like the main reason why I became a, a Jackie Chan fan. So so check that out.
All right, so now we're going to talk about the very popular Netflix series, House of Cards. Toyota Camry, it's all I saw. It's the Fortin's dog. It's not gonna make it. Go see if they're home. It's okay. There are two kinds of pain. Sort of pain that makes you strong, or useless pain. Cards is the Netflix original series that's Brit, uh, based on a British, I guess it was a miniseries, right, Mike? Yeah, available on Netflix, yeah. the, the original British miniseries of the same name. Of the same Cards. name, from uh, 1990. So if you want to you know, go back and check that out, you can do it on Netflix as well. I have not. I can't say anything about it. But Nor I have I. Good. Yeah. So House of Cards, everyone knows, is this political drama um, that stars Kevin Spacey, Robin Wright. Kate Mara, Corey Stowe, and a whole bunch of uh, really great character act- actors. Bunch of randos. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's got a great cast. Mike, you want to describe the show or? Uh, sure. It's a political drama from David Fincher, who you know we all know is from The Social Network, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, Fight Club. He did write in Fight Club, right? I'm not just talking out of my ass. Yes. Let's put that tentatively. You can Google <laughs> that at home and see if I'm an idiot. Yeah. No, I think you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, but David Fincher and uh, Bo Willimon, I think it's pronounced, who is the uh, writer, one of the primary writer for the show and also the writer of the political drama uh, with Ryan Gosling. What's it called? The Ides of March. The Ides of March, which I really enjoyed. Actually. Yeah, it was a really good movie. Very uh, underrated movie. But it's very much, if you've seen that movie, it's very much kind of in that, that wheelhouse. It, it is a political drama. It has like a muted colors, color scheme, which mm-hmm. is common to David Fincher's more recent work. Yeah, uh, it feels very much like a Fincher political drama, and so it's yeah. it, it's it's really interesting. It's about uh, Kevin Spacey who plays Frank Frank Underwood Francis Underwood, who is a uh, the majority whip, uh, a congressman, and who is kind of promised is it the Secretary of State role? I forget. Yes, I believe that's it. And uh, that's how the, the first episode opens. He's, he's kind of promised that. He helps get the president elected, and then uh, that promise is broken. Mm-hmm. And it, it so begins the the tale of revenge, essentially, right. <laughs> of his, you know, consolidating power and getting his revenge on the people who he feels wronged him. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's incredibly, the entire thing is tense and and interesting throughout, though it's one of those things where I think, uh, people have complained that like not everything is that memorable. Uh-huh. Like you might kind of forget the plot details, and it's more about the mood yeah. than what's happening mm-hmm. from moment to moment. But uh, I found it incredibly interesting and yeah. really entertaining. Yeah, it's really it's a really great show. Um, 
I really, I, I was able to follow it very closely, all the plot lines and everything. And mm-hmm. I think it's because it's available. Every episode is available immediately, so I think that's why I didn't have any problems, you know, following all the many, many different pop plot lines. Yeah, and we should um, talk about that later. I think at the end we'll probably talk about the yeah. distribution method. But yeah, yeah. something I want to touch back on. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so Frank Underwood is a yeah, just a very interesting character, and Kevin Spacey is a phenomenal actor. So it's a perfect casting. Although I a, lot, a few people have, you know, said that they don't really like his accent and they don't know why he had to <laughs> use an accent for this role when just his uh, normal accent would have been as effective, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I feel like this is a role <clears throat> in which Kevin Spacey is just allowed to not just chew the scenery but uh, eat every part of it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think I feel like that accent is part of it. It's like him kind of embodying this character uh-huh. and just letting loose on screen. Chewing every bit of scenery. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, I think it works for the show. It yeah. works because you need that primary personality. If you're going to have a kind of anti-hero, which is like all the rage now, I think almost to a detriment mm-hmm. in television, the idea of the main character being the anti-hero, yeah. you really need a character in that role who completely dominates the screen mm-hmm. when he's there. I would say that's the case with Breaking Bad. Yeah, exactly. Well, Brian Creston. You have Brian Creston who owns every scene he's in. Yeah. And you need someone with that kind of gravitas. And I think Kevin Spacey really does it in this show. Yeah, yeah. And and like, and it obviously doesn't hurt that the character was just throughout the. um, I've only seen season one. Mm -hmm. Um, You see, have you seen the first two seasons? Have you seen all? I've seen. Yeah, I've seen every episode. Yeah. So there's two seasons available right now on Netflix. I've only seen season one. So we're actually probably should have said this, but we're gonna be doing a. you know, like more of a, a spoiler kind of driven, you know, discussion. Yeah. We're gonna have more Nothing's of, been spoiled so far. Nothing so, so far, <laughs> but just know that we're going to spoil everything through season one. Uh-huh. Um, um, so, yeah, so... We're not going to talk about his dramatic death scene in episode <laughs> season two. Right. So, so if you haven't checked out the show, please do so and then come back and listen to this portion of this episode. So, yes, it, it's, it was a really great season. Uh, the Frank Underwood character, like I said, is really great. And, it, like, and Kevin Spacey is awesome. But, you know, it does, like I said, it doesn't hurt that the character is just so well written. And they give him – there's so many different uh, – like he's just – he has so many different characteristics and and so many he's he's not just a one note character I guess like he, mm-hmm. but there are they make him really interesting they throw a bunch of different scenarios you know at him and and he responds to certain things a little bit differently for example his relationship with Claire mm-hmm. you know like yes he's this vicious guy that's willing to do whatever it takes to to get ahead and to and to you know get back at everyone that has wronged him and um, but at the same time there is a little bit of humanity in him and when it comes to his wife even though that can be that's arguable mm-hmm. you know um, considering how many times he's held his wife back from from her company mm-hmm. in order to just further his you know like his status yeah. in the White House um, especially with with uh, the was it the education bill oh yeah. and also with, with getting Peter uh, Russo yeah. elected I think that was a bigger bigger part there yeah um, what's interesting is their relationship is a relationship like I've never seen portrayed on television before. Mm-hmm. It, it is there's a loving relationship. Clearly, there's a love there, but yeah. it's also like a political partnership. Yeah, it is what I guess what cynics have referenced the Clinton marriage to be between mm-hmm. Hillary and Bill, like yeah. two incredibly driven people. Yeah, and I feel like this is kind of borrowing from them a little, yeah. although certainly taken to the extreme. 
right. of the like, two incredibly driven people, two people who are incredibly ambitious, mm-hmm. uh, and have a relationship that is not only a loving relationship, but is mutually beneficial for their careers. Mm-hmm. They clearly, we see at the very beginning of the episodes, uh, how well they work together, yeah. how well their their strengths suit each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I would say that leans more in his direction. Yeah, uh, sure. their 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 general mission is more towards getting him to his goal. Yeah, but we see like the way they work together is so interesting and such a it's such a unique dynamic in in, in film or television. Yeah, uh, that it, it's it, you know it's it's great to see something like so new and cool like right. that. And, is that it, because like um, he develops this relationship with the Zoe Barnes character, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, mm-hmm. and his wife knows that he just went over there and slept with her. Yeah. And it's like, usually in a show, they'll be like, you know, like she might know, but she won't say anything about it. And it mm-hmm. would be kind of like, you know, but like they just, they just admit it immediately. He's yeah. like, and she's like, oh, so you were at that girl's house? Like, yeah. And then she's like, is it going to be, is this like, you know, is it just a one-time thing or whatever? And he's mm-hmm. like, no, it's probably something I have to be working on for a while. Yeah, that's you know, incredible. Because like, yeah, exactly. up until that point, you're thinking, it's like, you're thinking he's cheating on her. Yeah. When in reality, it's like he is using sex to manipulate this other person. Yeah. And she gets it. Like, in her mind, it's like this is just another tool right. for the two of them to manipulate an outside party. Yeah. It, it's so crazy. Like, when when she, when she when they have that interaction that you just described, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's like, wow, it yeah, reveals another facet of their relationship. It exactly. catches you by surprise. Yeah. And again, it's just it. another thing that's just yeah. wholly unique about their relationship. Yeah, so like there's definitely some love there, uh-huh. you know, but there is it's like very heavy-handed in like the business, yeah, more like a business like, political. It, relationship. it is in every way a, a partnership. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the Claire Underwood character, I, I love this character yeah, too. Played you know? incredibly by Robin Wright. Robin Wright. Um, Robin Wright. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I they have a lot of similarities in that they want to do whatever. You know, it's possible, like I said, to to um, to move up, whether it is move up in the political office or move up, like or improve, you know, her company. Yeah, her you know, her NGO. She runs a non for profit, uh, non governmental organization. Yeah, uh, charity. Yeah, and, but I just feel like there's a little bit more emotion on her side when it mm-hmm. comes to making these tough decisions. Like she's more emotional, more sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know she is very ruthless, but mm. like, but yeah, she's more conscious about what kind of like emotional impact she's having on people with these decisions. Mm. So I think there's definitely a difference there between the characters, and I think that's something that might come into play later on mm. because you already saw it affect the um, when when Russo was trying to become governor. Yeah, he was trying to become the he governor. Trying of to come I forget to... what state, right? And so he was trying to pass this Vermont or something, <laughs> right? Yeah, so so. She was very upset with Frank and and not allowing her to uh, to get this deal done with Remy because he felt that that would mean he would owe Remy something and and even though he knew how important this was for her company and and she wanted the funding to for this you know a really important project and and she was pretty much hurt by that and she kind of like obviously you ended up finding out that she kind of backstabbed Frank yeah in order to act, and actually made a deal with Remy anyways and, and yeah Remy who we're referring to Remy Danton the character mm-hmm. played by Master Holly Ali I think it's pronounced yeah uh, another great great performance <clears throat> Remy is a lobbyist he was a former uh, I guess he the way it's presented he was the former press secretary mm-hmm. for 
Yeah, he she, he was he worked for Frank Underwood. Frank Underwood. I believe he was a former like press secretary mm-hmm. essentially, but I don't think they replaced him yeah. because there's no one in that role in during you know in, in this season there's no one in that role. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he's left or whatever. He, he left. worked in him in some capacity, but it's clearly in like a, a media relations uh, capacity. Yeah. And now he's a lobbyist for I believe it's an oil company. So yeah. clearly, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of with lobbyists. There's a lot of like quid pro quo, and he comes in and he he has the bags of money essentially, but mm-hmm. those the, that money is not free. That money yeah. it comes tied to things, and and it's whether how they're going to handle it in regards to what do they take from him, knowing that what they're going to have to give him is contrary to what their goals are. Mm-hmm. And it should be noted, none of their goals seem very altruistic throughout this entire thing. Uh-huh. Everything he's working towards is to get him more power. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they have any real ideals. Uh, yeah. it, at least it doesn't seem like it does. Uh-huh. Everything they do, like the clean energy and the other things, like the education reform bill... Uh, he's trying to get things pushed through, but he, he is, a, a, we should say, a Southern Democrat mm-hmm. on the show. But he often takes the Republican side or will just relent and give the Republicans whatever they want. Not because he believes in either side, but right. because that will help him right. negotiating What's more at that beneficial moment. for him? Yeah. yeah. And, so, who, and who's on the other side of that that, you know, he can screw over yeah. or, you know, <laughs> get over on or use to manipulate, whatever it is, you know? If this, if he can come out with a certain advantage for whatever outcome, like mm-hmm. he's gonna go for that outcome, like just to get an advantage on somebody. Yeah, there's never any sense that he's doing it for any real, right? For any, any real reason, right? Other than to consolidate power for himself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And but but yeah, like I think that player is a little bit more of a sympathetic person, and you see, she's very emotional, even though she is very, like, yeah, she just seems very tough and everything. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that happens that really affects her, and and you see it also um, in this in the situation in which she ran away with the uh, the photographer. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. storyline over when she, yeah, she when things kind of get really rough in their relationship, or yeah. they start to come to an impasse, and she just jets off to New York with sexy photographer guy right. and, and even though she did she knew that he was sleeping with with the zoe character like yeah. it still really upset her mm-hmm. and and she she left and she went to new york and she was um who apparently was an old lover of hers from some uh like charity work she did in africa right yeah i think he's a yeah he's a war photographer he's yeah. like generic super awesome guy <laughs> like he's a, a gruff handsome yeah. british war, a war photographer mm-hmm. who is now like a you know like a he sells his his photographs for like huge amount of money artistic photographs or right. not not war photography yeah. so he's just like he checks every box of being an awesome guy <laughs> yeah so so there was that there was also even though she did fire a lot of people from that company mm-hmm. from her from her NGO for her NGO he like say like a company as like a profit driven company it's right. a, it's, it's, it's cherry right right okay so she fired like half of the people half of her staff pretty yeah, much yeah in the first and, episode and she seemed very conflicted about it like you know like she tries to put on a uh, a strong face but you can tell that it really affects her and she's really upset about doing it mm-hmm. but you can say that the you know the final decision to actually go through with it speaks for itself but yeah. I just think like there's a little bit more of emotional and sympathetic side to her character than Frank yeah. Underwood I think this is where you and I differ on, on her I mean yeah. it's not like it's not like a huge difference I would say mm-hmm. I, I definitely think unlike Frank like she her humanity 
is a little bit closer to the surface than it is in him. Mm-hmm. In him, you have to like, there are moments when you see his humanity mm-hmm. instead of the cold, calculated schemer that he yeah. is throughout most of the show. Very rarely it breaks through when you see it. I think with her, it's more frequent. You do see that kind of that kind of humanity bubbling up a little more mm-hmm. behind these kind of cold, calculating decisions yeah. that she makes. But I still think like. She's she still so. doing all of these yeah, things. Yeah, she's, she's doing still, things. She is still, yeah, when presented is. with any kind of opposition, ruthless and cruel to those yeah. who oppose her. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I I really don't remember much of, of Frank Underwood kind of like feeling bad about things. It's like usually yeah. when he does, it ends up kind of like coming back and like, oh, it was just... You know, yeah, and even have, being for me, that's like, more like in his relationship with uh, is it his, his not his assistant or his secretary or something, or she was a former secretary? Mm-hmm. I forget. Uh, there's a scene, there's, there's a point at which they're covering up for a crime and they're trying to hide uh, a, a prostitute played by uh-huh. Rachel Brosman, who's actually this is a, a major plot line mm-hmm. and he's like his his henchman essentially douglas stamper yeah. uh approaches a woman and says we need to move this girl in with you we need her to like live in your spare mm-hmm. room like that girl his relationship with her i feel like is kind of genuine and heartfelt oh, he really yeah, likes her so. and he's yeah. and the same way with his the guy at the rib joint like i oh, feel right, like they have true. a really, really true. yeah like he really he cares for this person yeah and that's what i mean like though i think you're right like he does not show Remorse right. for any of the the brutal decisions he makes mm-hmm. in pursuit of his vengeance in yeah. the show, and and not only that, but when but he I think he shows this... humanity in some degree. I think right. she perhaps shows a little remorse, but she's still doing it, and she's right. still vicious whenever she needs to be. Right, but but like even when Frank Underwood tries to seem like sympathetic, and he mm-hmm. seems like he always, you know, he he. There are moments of dialogue in which he kind of looks at the camera and talks to the audience. Yeah, which it's is always the big like he just kind of like guys, like the like, big conceit know? of the show. Yeah, so it's like he always kind of like he's he's having his very his genuine moments. Yeah, then it's like and he's looking at the camera like yeah, this is all bullshit. Pretty yeah, much, right. <laughs> so, but uh, so let's let's talk about the Zoe Barnes character. Um, Zoe Barnes is a. Uh, uh, the young journalist that works for the Washington Post, very ambitious, and uh, she's trying to make a name for herself. So she starts this relationship with Frank Underwood, and it's played by Kate Mara. Kate Mara, this the uh, sister of the sister of Rooney Mara. Rooney Mara, one of our favorites, yeah. and like the great grandchild of they're like football royalty. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. they're uh, Rooney Mara is actually Archie named Manning, after right? Archie Manning. No, no, who was it? No, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, Art Rooney. Who is the oh. original owner, and the, their family still owns the Pittsburgh Steelers? Okay, uh, and her father is John Mara, and the Mara—he is, I believe, the president of the New York Giants, uh-huh. and the Mara family is the family that owns the New York Giants. Oh, okay, that's way off. So they are football royalty, yeah. not some quarterback. I don't even know son. Like, where, where Archie Manning came from, but it's just like the first thing that popped in my head. Yeah, um, that's just a, it's a completely worthless trivia, <laughs> right? So Zoe Barnes, yeah, I really love this character too. You know, I've I've seen um, the Kate Mara in a few really small uh, roles before. Yeah, um, 127 hours might be the most noticeable. Yeah, probably maybe. the most. I mean, she had a bigger role in the uh, Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, that's not yeah. the best showcase. Right. Right. Uh, 127 hours is probably the best movie she was in. Right, yeah, and she had a very, very tiny role in that. Yeah. But she's she's great, and she's a humongous part of this show. Yeah, um, that's the uh, you know the journalist who we're talking about that uh, 
starts a relationship with Frank. It, it, obviously, they're using each other. They're and, using and, each other. And so she's, Frank is pretty much a leak for her to you know get like all these major stories out there before the public finds out about them. Yeah, and, to, and build her reputation, build her reputation and move up in the journalism world. Yeah, so you know she ends up getting getting a lot of attention from from the media for for spawning all these stories, and she gets a lot of airtime, and it be, builds this conflict with her boss, and she ends up leaving Washington Post. Yeah, and, she starts getting on television, which I yeah. find their whole post thing to be kind of hilarious. It's like she has it, there's this whole plot line at the beginning. It's like her relationship at the Post, and they are these stodgy old political old school uh-huh, newspaper. Right. It's like we keep referring to the Post. It's actually the Washington Herald on the oh, show. Oh, the Washington Herald. But right. it's it's actually but it's obviously a very right. clear reference right. to the Washington Post. Yeah. It's an analog for the Washington Post. Uh, but like it's her thing. Like her tension is she's young and hip, and they're all out of they're, yeah. they don't know what's cool. Yeah. And yeah. she wants to start like a, a rumor blog, uh-huh. and she like wants to be a blogger for the Washington Post. And he's like, "No, you got to do things the old fashioned way." Mm-hmm. I just thought that was all hilarious. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That that was really. <laughs> but eventually, because of these leaks that that he this information that he's feeding her, <coughs> uh, she becomes you know very widely known. She's yeah. breaking stories left and right, and she mm-hmm. starts appearing on television like CNBC and all those other ones mm-hmm. and, and and you know be raising her profile to the point where she becomes a, essentially a star reporter right at the post and so she gets recruited by this very popular up and coming website slugline slugline yeah and uh um, which i also find hilarious right like, right <laughs> yeah it, like the new internet right the new internet media company and, uh, a lot but, of like you know beanbag chairs and right yeah and it's so <laughs> right it's like very kind of like Overly done, I guess. Yeah, kind it's of like, like to drive home man. the point, you know. Yeah. But but it's still, you know, really yeah, yeah, well done, I guess. And she <laughs> she goes there, starts becoming more of an independent reporter, and then yeah. she's able to, you know, kind of right. feed his and, stories. I mean, that's the weird thing; is like they are. It is to some degree a mutually beneficial relationship, but yeah. obviously, you see his manipulation. Uh-huh. Obviously, he's working in tandem with his wife to to kind of manipulate this person, yeah. and he's he's metering out the information that yeah, she's getting scoops. But all of these scoops are things that he wants out there yeah. to kind of manipulate the press in general. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's kind of cool to see her like rise and whatnot. Right, and, right. But but at the same time, it seems like she she kind of knows that he's uh, using her too. And, yeah, and and she's she's a little bit smarter than that, and she mm-hmm. knows exactly what's going on, and, and she kind of like drives the relationship a little bit too. You know, like yeah. just when he thinks he has like his his finger wrapped around her or whatever, like he she'll find a way to kind of like you know manipulate their their relationship as well yeah there's a couple points where it's like given the transactional nature of their relationship where they're having sex and he's giving information Mm -hmm. it's almost like she's buying this information with sex and there's a point at which she just says like well fuck the pretense like i'm gonna have sex with you and you're gonna give me information like she lays it all on the table and it makes it very like he thinks he was being a lot slicker than he was. Yeah, right, exactly. And she just yeah. kind of lays it out on the table and is like, no bullshit, let's just get this over with. Yeah. And she's very clearly not into it. It's just, yeah. <laughs> and it make, like clearly makes him feel like, it makes him feel dirty. She kind of yeah. turned the tables mm-hmm. on him. Yeah, definitely. Where, she, yeah. She's like, he's like, oh, you're like, you could be my dad and all this stuff. And Yeah, she's yeah. like, like some clever shots right, at him to yeah. kind of, yeah. Like, he's like, don't you feel gross or something? She's <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and... You know, and then near the the end of se- the season, she ends their their relationship, mm-hmm. and uh, she says she wants to keep it strictly just business, no sex and everything. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, there was that turning point where 
like you said, she started doing some actual reporting. At yeah, the end of the because season. what we see in the first part of the season is like it's literally that she she's in this relationship with him and he's feeding her stories. Yeah, but none of what she's actually doing is actual reporting. Yeah, it's just kind of getting information from him and putting out. She's like almost his press secretary. She's mm. she's his puppet in the in the media. Yeah, and and I think in part because of her relationship with. Uh, Who's the other reporter? Uh, yeah, the other reporter from the Washington Herald, right? Uh, yeah, it's yeah. not in the show. Who she brings along to, yeah. to Slugline. Who ends up leaving the poster Slugline. She yeah. kind of surpasses her, and it gets her really upset. And, mm. then, and then eventually they kind of they kind of mend that relationship. Right. Yeah. And, and I thought, yeah, that was really interesting, too. The, like, And then, yeah, like I said, all of a sudden they're... They start finding things out that Frank Underwood would not want her to know, and just like yeah. especially about Peter Russo. Yeah, so that's really interesting. I'm really excited to find out where that goes. You know, mm-hmm. and the kind of like on a cliffhanger in season one. Yeah, to see what happens with this that. Peter Russo character in right. season two. Uh, so, oh well, <laughs> well here's the heartbreaking thing. So Peter Russo, Peter um, Russo, played by Corey Stoll, who yeah. you might remember from Mid- Midnight in Paris. He played Ernest Hemingway, yeah. Uh, yeah. a movie that I loved, and specifically a character that I loved. Uh-huh. He was so great in that movie. Yeah. Like I became after that movie a huge fan of anything he's in. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna give him a shot. Did you see Lucky Number Eleven? I did not see Lucky Number Eleven. Oh, well, he's in, he's in it. Well, I'm gonna have to check it out yeah, then. You will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But didn't expect yeah. me to. Agree. Huh? Yeah, it's an okay movie, but um, <laughs> no, he's a he's a great actor. Yeah. I've only seen him in small parts. I see at Midnight in Paris. I saw him that he was really good in that. Yeah, but I was totally blown away by this guy's performance. Yeah, man. And he plays uh, Representative Peter Russo, who is a uh, a congressman from like an Iron Belt state. I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, steel workers and whatnot. That he, was, he's very there to keep jobs and whatnot. Yeah. I thought it was New Jersey, wasn't it? Was it New Jersey? I don't know. It's no. one of the yeah, one of those eastern states. Listen, it all kind of. <laughs> I agree, eastern. But or was it Pennsylvania? Or was it West Virginia? Ah, oh, fuck. I don't know. It was probably Pennsylvania. Because <laughs> now that you mention it, I think he was running for governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah, eventually. I think it's what uh, it, is. it was Pennsylvania. Yeah. So he uh, he's a, he's a, a, a kind of a small time governor and upstart. I think yeah. he might be in his first term. Even uh, the the sense I get from that is that like you know he he was still kind of running on his initial platform. Of keeping jobs in his district, so so this character is is like a guy with a past. He yeah. is a an alcoholic, and yeah. I wouldn't even say a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. When the show picks up, he's like a legitimate yeah. alcoholic drug user. We see very early on in the season he acquires the services of a prostitute. Right. I don't know how quite to say that. <laughs> uh, he yeah. gets into a drunk driving accident with the prostitute in the car. And that's how kind of his relationship with Frank Underwood starts. Yeah, Frank yeah. Underwood so, sees him as a young senator who's gotten in this jam yeah. that with his connections, he can cover up. Right. And he gets the police to kind of cover up this uh, this, this drunk driving yeah. and prostitution, what, I mean, what essentially would be a career-ending mm-hmm. uh, scandal. So, and he gets so, to cover up so that he could then get this guy in his pocket. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's another, another tool for him yeah. you know, to use, pretty much. And... And yeah, like Peter Russell's character, very troubled guy, and he has this relationship with his secretary yeah. named Christina, who's great, by the way. And yeah, it was it's it was kind of a heartbreaking storyline. Um, you have this guy who's obviously very troubled, has this this problem with addiction and everything, mm-hmm. and you see him, and you're like this, like he's you see him as obviously a fuck up because that's the way he's kind of introduced to you yeah. as. But there's but, some, like uh, with the way Corey still plays him, there's something about him. Yeah, it's like even at the beginning when he's a fuck up, it's like there's 
you have an attraction to him. You can see why people would vote for this guy. Yeah. You can see why you can get behind this guy because there's something yeah, he exactly. has a certain likability. Yeah, exactly. And so like it, you kind of end up wanting to root for this guy anyway. Yeah. You know? And it's like it's like you get really attached to him, and and he finally cleans up. Yeah. He cleans the whole up. process. I mean, like throughout the season, it's like Frank helping him better him himself, mm-hmm. helping him better himself. He's he's getting him clean. Uh, his, assist, his, his his like henchman Doug Stamper, who we mentioned before, uh, played by Michael Kelly, uh, very well. He just, he's excellent in this role. It's like a very yeah, he's great kind of stoic role. Yeah, but he plays him like so well. Uh-huh. And that that guy is also a recovering alcoholic, and he kind of he kind of gets him into a treatment program, and you see them kind of bring him along. Yeah. And then when they decide that he's going to run for governor, he kind of like pushes him into running for governor of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And he brings his wife in, and they they form this entire staff mm-hmm. around uh, around Peter. Yeah, and they kind of build him up. They have to get through all of his demons. They, there's that great episode where they bring in that kind of uh, the dirt guy, the guy who like does damage control. Yeah, and he has to like let out everything bad that he's ever done, yeah. so that this guy can like get it all on right. paper and yeah. cover his ass. Right. Yeah. And the, the entire season, you kind of see this kind of purging of this bad guy mm-hmm. or not necessarily a bad guy but a flawed guy yeah. like he's kind of this fuck up yeah and they kind of they they the entire throughout the entire season you see him like get better mm-hmm. you see them make him into the man that you as the viewer who just naturally likes him mm-hmm. uh wants him to be yeah and we see like there's this episode this great episode i wanted to talk about when he goes back to pennsylvania mm-hmm. and he goes back to his district and this is after frank makes him kind of repay his debt to him by abandoning this bill that I guess this proposal he had been working on the entire time he had been in Congress, yeah. and that one was of the to, reasons why he got elected. In yeah, the first I mean, place. kind of like his elect his his big his platform. Yeah, was keeping this military base. I think it was mm-hmm. in in his district in Pennsylvania because it was thousands of jobs and all, the entire you know district depended on it. Yeah, and then in you know this incredibly dramatic moment, he kind of just sits in the in the Senate hearing or the, the congressional hearing and says nothing. He doesn't oppose it when they shut it down yeah. and he does it at the, the behest of, of Frank Underwood right. you know it's a tool in, in his shed yeah. that he gets him to kind of like sell out his own district mm-hmm. and there's this it's kind of like that's the low point and then he comes back and you get to see him go back to that district mm-hmm. and like cut the bullshit cut the politics and like just get down and deal with the people in a way that's like inspiring like yeah. you see his kind of resurrection you see, like, his birth as an actual good politician, yeah. and he wins over the people again. Well, at the same time, doing something that Frank Underhood wanted him to do, right? Because there yeah. was something that was going to benefit Claire's NGO, Well, right? I, it was, I think Claire's, I think in that situation, I feel like Claire's NGO was kind of taking a backseat to this congressional campaign. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like she just kind of put everything aside so that she can get this bill that maybe she didn't really totally believe in yeah. passed because he would need a victory yeah. if he was going to run yeah. for governor. That's true. And, and I guess like this brought jobs to the district, and but it was it, it was great because he kind of like he kind of he bought into it, and he was like he sold them on it, yeah. and it was like this great triumphant moment for him. And you think like he's gonna do it, right? Like, this is, finally, this is our guy. He's gonna do it. Yeah. And then yeah. we see where that ends. Right. We see where that ends. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, he's just a really great character, and I loved his relationship with uh, Christina, um, who was played by Kristen Connolly, Kristen who, Connolly. who we talked about earlier, like. 
I remember I was watching this show, right? And I was like, why do I know this? How do I know this girl? And I just, she just looks so familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until a few days ago when I was like, holy shit, she's from uh, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, she's like yeah, the from main... From a uh, her... Joss Whedon movie, yeah. Cabin in the Woods. The yeah. fantastic... Yeah, and she's Cannot awesome. recommend that movie enough. But yeah, yeah she's, she's like kind of essentially, I guess, the main character. Yeah, yeah. She so, plays like the virgin archetype in the horror film. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you like Joss Whedon, yeah, you got to check out. Cat you abs- I actually put that off for a little movie. while. That movie, but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. If you're I someone who's theaters. seen a lot of horror movies, that kind of plays off that kind of cabin in the woods concept. Yeah, of like a creepy it's cabin awesome. in the woods. It, it is so it's awesome, brilliant. It's brilliant. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the Christina character is is awesome too. And, <laughs> we and, digress. Yeah, right. But uh, I, I yeah, I love that relationship, and it was like one of those things that kind of helped hold him together you know and like he went through all these struggles and everything but there were always there was always something that kind of helped him recover or get better and then or see some light at the end of the tunnel even at the lowest points of his of his life when he's you know struggling so much and 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 just so down in the dumps and and falling off the wagon and Mm. stuff like it it, it, like it really hurt when he fell off the wagon too there was yeah he was obviously manipulated and he used that girl, the the prostitute, mm-hmm. I guess, that that they had caught him with in the first Named place. Named Rachel. I think her name is like on the show Rachel Posner, but Rachel. she's played by an actress named Rachel Brosman. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty similar. Who's yeah. also, she's really good in the show. Yeah, too. she's really good in it. That's and the thing. Everybody on the show is really good. Yeah, everyone. It's just like a it's bunch great of great ensemble characters, cast. man. Like, yeah, great actors. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, okay, so the Peter Russo character dies yeah it's kind of the big and it was yeah kind of heartbreaking heartbreaking Heartbreaking. because like you got you got you get so attached to this guy and then he dies at the hands of mr francis underwood and and so like at this point in time i have no i can't stand francis underwood now it's like (laughs) i'm totally rooting against him now you know, it's like yeah. he murdered that's, a guy. That's the final he murdered evil a guy. thing. Yeah, he murders him and makes it look like a suicide, so everyone you know knows it's a suicide. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, now the way that season ends, you know, Zoe Barnes and the other reporters are starting to figure things out. Yeah, they're and starting they're getting, to actually investigate and they're finding. They're things. like, wait, maybe he didn't commit suicide. You know, like yeah. it's kind of open. So, so that's why I'm really looking forward to season two to see where that goes. Mm. You know. Um, there's really so much that can happen yeah. with, with this series, and and uh, like I said, there's so many different storylines, so many different characters that there's so much to play with. Yeah, and so like I'm very, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens in season two. You know, yeah, most I'm looking forward to two. talking about the second yeah. season with you. It'll so, probably be a shorter conversation. Yeah, but yeah, I'm so, <laughs> so really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, um, I don't know. Should be. Oh, you know what? There's a really big humongous episode that where you learn so much about Francis Underwood. Oh, yeah. We it's didn't talk about had, that When one. he goes back to college. The college episode. Yeah. They're, Which they're, is... In, that, I, I think... I did not see that coming. But, yeah. But, so, he has he goes back to his alma mater to... They, they renamed the library in his name. You know? Yeah, he had gotten money. He had been able to procure funding for a new library, mm-hmm. and so they had renamed the library. In they honor renamed him. it. In and they were having a big ceremony, and he came back. And kind of, uh, kind reunited of joined up, reunited with his old classmates. Yeah, his old, old like uh, acapella group. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you learn quite a bit. Yeah. Apparently, he had a relationship with uh, one of his buddies. It is. It is. It is heavily implied. Yeah. Heavily never implied, but stated. it's. I would say it's pretty clear that there was some kind of. Uh, 
There's a, a lot sexual of relationship, yeah. yeah, with with this one that guy. he had had a homosexual relationship yeah. with yeah. his old friend, yeah, which is fascinating yeah. for so many reasons. I was reasons. like, oh my god! Not the least of which is that Kevin Spacey is is, I mean, that's kind of the rumor about him. Really, that he's that he's homosexual and uh, has been secretly so for uh, a long time. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's uh, yeah, that's uh, like it's kind of a thing. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and and not, not like in the not like in the dirty secret way, but in mm-hmm. the kind of speculative. It's like kind of a known secret. Ah, it's like he's not out about it. Interesting. But people know. Ah, I had no idea. Yeah, which is like, like yeah. that he would do this role now, where he is like a yeah. is an incredibly powerful public figure who has a secretly gay past. Yeah, who's had a secret gay relationship. Yeah, it, that's like a whole another layer of interesting. Yeah. But just just for that character alone, yeah, like the depth. I feel like it adds so much depth to that character. Yes, that it does. He goes back, and now you see someone with whom he has had an actual like tender relationship. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, with these two men, there's like a love there. Yeah, that neither one of them, because of you know the era they've grown up in, the environment they grew up, could accept. Yeah, or allow to actually become something mm-hmm. other than you know a youthful dalliance. Yeah, but. It's for this cold, calculating guy we see. It's like, it's like this is is this like the heart that's hidden underneath his yeah. character? Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing too, because earlier you did, you did mention that you do see some moments of humanity in him. Mm-hmm. You know, you do you do see these moments, like you said, where you feel he does have a heart. You know, yeah. But that's one of the major moments where I I thought about it, but it, mm-hmm. that was in the past. Yeah, and I think that. In the now, like there's none of that left. Yeah. Like you know, like but like it you informs see a the character. It's like if this right. is, if this is like his real love. Like if yeah. he was a, a, a young man, eighteen to twenty-two, I would suppose. Yeah. Or around that age, I don't know when you would go to West Point. West Point's a university, right? It's not a right. It's a prep school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a, you would imagine a, eighteen to twenty-two, like in that range, where he had this person that he was in love with, uh-huh. but that he could never really pursue those feelings. Yeah. And having to bury that, it informs like his it, like his character is now this guy who has all of his feelings completely buried beneath the surface, yeah. not just his sexual feelings, but right. like every every bit of humanity is buried beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, the fact that like he had to bury those feelings at such a young age of mm-hmm. who he is essentially to build up this shell, yeah. this kind of public face of who he is, yeah. and now we see him at this point where it seems like the public face is all there is. Yeah. Like this kind of calculating yeah, exactly. powerful person, this shell is all there is to him now. Yeah. That, I totally agree. And then, yeah, cause like even the way the episode ends, you know, when, when he, he talks about how these people don't even know who I am. Like, yeah. you know, they don't even know like Francis Underwood, like they're going to change the name in 40 years anyways. Mm-hmm. And like he's, he looks back at the building and he, and he has this pamphlet, you know, for this, uh, or a program for for the ceremony, mm. and it's like he just throws it on a chair and walks away. Yeah, and it's just like very symbolic, like oh, you know what? Like none of it matters. You just you know, I'm just gonna keep moving forward and yeah. be just very you know. All that matters is the mission, guy. the pursuit the mission, of power. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. So th- I really think yeah. that that, that was, was that episode kind of came out of nowhere yeah. and it like it kind of recontextualized his entire character yeah. for me. Yeah. And, yeah, like it was just it was really good television. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, it's it's so strange that we we could not discuss that mm-hmm. on a weekly basis. Like that's an, like that's why I wanted to get back to the the actual format in which this show is delivered, because mm-hmm. uh, that would have been huge. Yeah, 
That would have been huge in like the Breaking Bad type, you know, like you see the episode and everyone talks about it. Yeah, that's true. That's so, true. And, and it feels you're like right. You're right. If it was like, you're right. If it was on on TV, just you know, yeah, once every week or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been. People would have talked about it a little bit more. And but it seems like I don't know. Like I, I haven't been following social media, you know, when it comes down to the show because like I, I try to avoid spoilers. Mm-hmm. Like. Do you follow any of it? Any of the talk on, on about the show? Well, maybe, I don't know if it's ever been referenced or talked about, you know, more thoroughly. So maybe I've seen it are... written. I mean, like that seems to be a touchstone really? for people who have like referenced the show in mm-hmm. retrospect. It's like, I mean, that yeah. was a great episode. It was fantastic yeah. television. Yeah. But at the same time, I can see how it can be really just overlooked. Yeah, because it's like it seems like one of those episodes that doesn't really serve to the plot line. Like, the it's, it's funny. It's like, people like us, I imagine, yeah. could not watch that and walk away with any other impression. Yeah. But I feel like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people out there who's like, what do you mean yeah. he was gay? <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Which, which yeah. to me, would be hilarious. Yeah. I wish those conversations could have happened. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. But yeah, I think that's about it, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've listened this far, you've either you've either watched the entire season or you have no interest in watching it. Right. Uh, if it's the latter, I would hope you would go out there and check it out because it really is. I mean, it's more than just the plot points. Mm-hmm. This show is, is so focused on creating an incredible mood and tension in the moment. Yeah. Uh, certainly, and there's a lot of stuff we haven't discussed that it, uh, regarding his mission for revenge and where that ultimately leads mm-hmm. uh, that is really interesting and worth watching. So if you haven't seen it, absolutely, I would recommend checking yeah. it out. Would you? Yeah. That, oh, absolutely. It's yeah. a great, great show. I, I watched the whole series, or the first season, I guess, in like three days. So, yeah, so. that's what I said. I like. Yeah. I ended up binging on the whole yeah. thing. And again, if, if you have seen it, uh, write in. Share your thoughts. If you yeah. have something... Let us know what if, you think. If there's something you, you thought we, we failed to cover and... Yeah. And, and no, really no spoilers beyond season one, please, because I haven't seen season two yeah. yet. So uh, just up to the point we've yeah. talked so about So don't it. mention yeah. his violent death in episode three. <laughs> well, I mean, do you want to discuss... The actual, like, what are your thoughts on the the way this show is delivered? Because yeah. this is the way Netflix is doing things now. Yeah. They've got this new format where they just, the, the shows that they produce themselves, they l- dump them all on you at one moment. Mm-hmm. The show goes live. And then you can marathon the entire thing. Yeah. So there are certainly advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the advantage, I would say the chief advantage, is like you and I both experienced this series we like gorged on it over the the, the course of a weekend, like three mm-hmm. days. Yeah, uh, that's certainly what I did to both seasons. Yeah. That you could just watch it and you get you're so into it, and each episode leads into the next, and you end up like going through five episodes in one sitting without realizing it. Yeah. Uh, but the thing you lose is kind of the public discourse. Yeah. You lose becoming the zeitgeist, and I think you saw that with. You know, we're, we're recording this after the Game of Thrones premiere mm-hmm. uh, this past weekend. And that's something that's just not possible with this Netflix, mm-hmm. This the, the way they deliver their episodes. Yeah. Like I, I mentioned to you before the show, Grantland, the sports and entertainment website, they did an hour-long stream before the, the, the Game of Thrones uh, premiere, yeah. and then they did an hour-long stream afterwards where they just discussed it. And, and they mentioned, like, the reason they did that is because this is such a huge public thing. Yeah. Like, everyone's talking about it. Like, it, you, there's the radio or television. Like, no matter yeah. what show you're on, everyone's <laughs> referencing Game of Thrones. Yeah. And they're doing that because it's a big public event. And we certainly, we've spoken in the past about our relationship with Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. And the way that's, like, a very public communal thing. Yeah. And certainly, you know, I, I wasn't part of it, but you were of Lost. 
in a way lost with something that every week it was appointment right. television and everyone was talking about it, it was a water cooler conversation mm-hmm. and none of that can happen with Game of Thrones no matter or I'm sorry with, with any of these Netflix series yeah. no matter how good they are and they have been really fantastic like Orange is the New Black is also a really yeah, fantastic right. show yeah. and and you can't get that Zeke guy yeah. so I was someone who was totally on board with that distribution method mm-hmm. beforehand like I love the idea of binging television and like you know I would have, you know, vociferously argued that that is the future of television. That's yeah. the way people are watching TV now. But now I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're giving up too much. Yeah. I, I think it is going to be is – it is, it is the way a lot of shows are going to be, be released now. Well, not a lot of shows, I guess, but, like, I think there's going to be a lot of Netflix original series. And, yeah. And maybe even HBO will jump into it. I think HBO might release some shows that way, too, on demand, you know? Do you? Yeah. And – because obviously it has worked for Netflix, but at the same time, as as someone that does like to talk about the shows and likes to talk about every single episode and really take my time with it mm-hmm. and really look at every aspect of it, it kind of sucks because, yeah, like you want to have those discussions with people, you know, yeah. and and especially now, and I'm one, kind of one of those people too that when I fall behind on a show, I'm like I don't want to hear about it because I'm afraid I'm going to get spoiled about it. Yeah, you know, but. With, with Netflix, that's going to be the case almost all the time. That's the thing. Like, so that, it's like, oh, what episode what are you on? Well, we can't talk about it. It's like literally happened in the first week. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I feel exactly. like the kind of public push for season two of House of Cards, which mm-hmm. obviously made my top five. I don't know if we where it would sit in your rankings if you had seen it last season. And yeah, didn't say. House of Cards. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I you think it would have cracked the like, top five? Yeah, it definitely would have. Right. So this is a show. Obviously, we enjoyed a lot yeah and this is like a big show with stars and it was done really well Mm -hmm. and i feel like for season two that came out recently all of the promotion all of like the public zeke guys around it lasted for a week or two yeah and now it's like no one's talking about it no one's talking about it because like everyone had already watched it the first couple it's moment past and the thing you describe of like being like well if i'm not caught up i can't watch it you, or if I, I'm not caught up, I can't talk about it. Yeah. Well, you're not like a week behind. Literally on day two, no one can talk about anything about the series because yeah. all the episodes are out there. They're going to be people who've seen the entire right. season. And so, and so that kind of puts everyone, like that puts the general public just like, I'm like, well, can I really share these feelings on Facebook or, or, or talk about this episode on Facebook, on Twitter? Whereas like most of the time it's like, all right, uh, when you're watching a show that airs weekly, you can jump in and start talking about it and hashtagging these conversations, have conversations with people yeah. after the show. Gotta hashtag it. You know, uh, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's like you can talk yeah. to people and have these long conversations about what you think is you know, is going to happen next, whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, like Game of Thrones is the perfect example. It, it yeah. aired Sunday. Since right. then, I've had like a dozen conversations yeah. about Game and, of Thrones. And you can... And, and that's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is like you can have a one-hour conversation after one episode with people. Yeah. But then when you're releasing everything at the same time, it's like, well, what exactly can we talk about? And it's like, and then you feel hesitant about what you can tweet, what you can, you know, Facebook. Exactly. It's like and it kind of hurts the show in a way too because that's it's like, what I'm saying. well, that's why that's how Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. You know, lost and all these shows gain so much steam is through the internet and from every single and week. Yeah, is like building these conversations. great conversations. Like as much know. as as much as I like always fight against it, like because I just have that natural streak. You tell me like, hey, you got to do this. I'm like, ah, yeah. screw you. Yeah, yeah. It's, True Detective is even another if, one. It's a good True example. Detective. Yeah, it's even if I know one. I'm gonna like it, yeah. but like if I feel like it's homework, I have to watch. It. Like I'm just gonna keep putting <laughs> it off forever. Yeah, but uh, but like. Not only does it not encourage that conversation, which I, I feel like, as we mentioned before, with Twitter and 
and just all kinds of social media and the mm-hmm. way these conversations happen. That's so important for a show to kind of capture huge audiences and kind of capture yeah. the imagination of the public. Not only does it not encourage that, but it, it actively stifles that conversation. Mm-hmm. They're like, we can't talk about House of Cards yeah. because we are in- invariably going to be on different episodes. Yeah, exactly. like, There's no way we're going to be... Yeah. It's like such a, the small odds that we're going to be linked up yeah. and having watched the same episodes. Exactly. So it kills that conversation. Yeah. When you kill that conversation, you kill word of mouth. Other than people just saying, like, oh, it's so great, you got to watch it. Like, it just, it, it kind yeah. of kills the show yeah. dead in its tracks. You're right. And, and especially when it comes, like, most of the time, like, there's like, a I've lot of... Like, I've completely come around on that. Yeah. And there's a lot of websites, right, uh-huh. that that like to break down episodes of shows. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times you're looking forward to that website and what that person that you <laughs> love to read, you know, whose columns you like to read, you're looking forward to, oh, what did this guy think about that episode I just watched? Yeah, it's like literally, keep so, going back to Game of Thrones, like, literally exactly. after that episode, the next day, I went to, like, three different recaps exactly. that I know. So Netflix I is throwing all that out. It. So you're, you're not letting that happen with these Netflix and, and shows that are available immediately. Yeah. You know, it's like you have, the only way you can do it is by discussing the whole series as a whole. But you're going to miss so much there's you can't talk about every single aspect of the show like you could if it was episode to episode mm-hmm. you know and i just feel like yeah like these netflix series and having them available immediately does hurt it even though obviously it is working a lot of people are talking about house of cards you know well i mean that's the thing it's they're talking about it because it is legitimately great it's yeah, like really it's good work yeah uh but like would they be talking about it more like if netflix released yeah. an episode every week yeah like that's why i don't know like that's why i said like i when this initially happened when they first released it I thought season when they first released season one, I thought like this is the future of television. This is where we're headed. Yeah. And now, like two years, a, a year later, a, a little over a year later, uh, you know, like I've kind of come around and yeah. I feel like yeah, this has kind of robbed us of something. Yeah. It, it it really has. That's yeah, why I, I can't of... see like I can I, I would imagine in the future I could see them going season three of House of Cards, uh, releasing an episode a week at a really? time. Really? Yeah. Oh. I, in fact, I think like. I think they have to. I, do you think so? I feel like I, I feel like they, they might not. There's a real good chance that they won't. They'll release them all in one month. Some. I don't think they will. But I feel like that would be a huge mistake. Yeah. I, I feel like just watching the way Game of Thrones and, and other shows like that are treated, like Mad Men is going to be treated when it comes back very soon. Yeah. The uh, last season, right? Yeah. Well, the last like it's they're going to do the Breaking Bad thing where it's it's actually mm. two years, two seasons, but they're yeah. going yeah. Yeah. But I, I feel like yeah, I, I think like. I think that's. I think it's genuinely a mistake now, and yeah. I've kind of come around in it. And I feel like yeah. they need to start doing it a week at a time, as much as like someone like me who likes to binge watch it. And certainly, that show was made with the intent of you watching it uh-huh. very closely. You yeah. watching an episode after another. Right. Uh, yeah. We see it in the pilot. Like the pilot in the second episode pick up. In the second episode picks up immediately where the pilot ends. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean, it might change I mean, the way they have to make the show, know. but I feel like yeah. they're leaving so much public awareness on the table by doing that. Yeah. I don't know. I Yeah, totally agree, man. So we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. But mm-hmm. I don't think Netflix is going to fix or, or change their format. They might not, yeah. yeah. I think I, I think it's a smart move. they got to do I'm it just, with Orange I'm, is the like New I said, Black. I'm just afraid that like HBO is going to follow suit. Or yeah. one of those I don't think they will. Networks. I think I think I'm. I've been really surprised by how HBO has handled themselves. Uh-huh. Like, there's this whole, there's the whole kind of culture of people sharing their HBO Go passwords. Uh-huh. And when H, whatever HBO executives have been approached about it, they're like, eh, "It's gonna happen. Like, and there's no big deal. Uh-huh. Like, they're not trying to clamp down on it. Yeah. They're like, well, people want to see what's on HBO, and this is just gonna get more people talking about it. Like, yeah. they've actually recently yeah. referenced the fact that Game of Thrones 
is the most pirated show in history of television. Oh, shit. Like, there, it's like literally millions of people are like downloading yeah, it. It doesn't illegal. at all, actually. And when they asked the uh, HBO executives about it, like, they're not responding angrily. They're just mm-hmm. saying, like, well, people want it's a great show. Yeah. People want to see it. And, like, you know, I, well, I don't even remember if I had HBO. Like, I'm one of those people who used to just, like, torrent uh, <laughs> HBO shows. Yeah. But I feel like I, like I want to see them. I'm, it's yeah. like it's worth paying the ridiculous $200 oh my God. that I pay I a month for cable. On that. Just because I, like, I want, I want to see it. Like, I watch yeah. every episode of Game of Thrones two, three times yeah. over I, the course <laughs> of that week. Yeah. I looked at my bill recently, and I was like, God. I know. It kills me. And like, I was like. But HBO, Game of Thrones, it's just starting. I'm like, there's always hope, like praying that they just go a la carte, like Netflix, and like you could just subscribe to HBO Go. Like I'd pay fifteen, twenty dollars a month. I would definitely do that too, and cancel the cable. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting stuff, man. So actually, yeah, if you guys have any thoughts on 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 that topic, email us. Let us know what you think. That's uh, you know, email us. What's our email? Podcast at somecinema.com. Right. And let us know what you think. And, and just w- let us know what you think about House of Cards as well. And uh, Rumble in the Bronx, if you've ever seen it before. Um, cause, uh, everybody's seen that Everybody's movie. seen it. Just write it and tell us how awesome it is. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that's about it. Remember, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes. Just search for Something Cinematic. Leave us a review. And uh, also on our website, somecinema.com. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, some at some cinema. You can follow us individually. You can follow Mike at at Mike Gonzalez, M I K E G O N Z A L E Z, and you can hit me up there about your disagreements. <laughs> right, and I'm the Lopez twenty three. That's T H E L O P E Z two three. And the song for this episode is the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme by the one and only Will Smith from. If you don't know where that's from, then just, yeah. If you don't know who Will Smith is. Exactly. Or where that song's from, you're crazy. Anyways, that's about it. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you later. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all shooting some b-ball outside of the school. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I begged and pleaded with her day after day, but she packed my suitcase and sent me on my way. She gave me a kiss and then she gave me my ticket. I put my Walkman on and said, I might as well kick it. First class, yo, this is bad. Drinking orange juice out of a champagne glass. Is this what the people of Bel Air living like? Hmm, this might be alright. But wait, I hear the prissy bourgeois and all that. Is this the type of place that they just send this cool cat? I don't think so. I see when I get there. I hope they're prepared for the Prince of Bel Air. plane landed and when I came out there was a dude look like a cop standing there with my name out I ain't trying to get arrested yet I just got here I sprang with the quickness like lightning disappeared I whistled for a cab and when it came near the license plate said fresh and it had dice in the mirror if anything I could say that this cab was rare but I thought man forget it yo home's the Bel Air I pulled up to the house 
was about seven or eight and I yelled to the cabbie, yo home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne at the Prince of Bel-Air. That'd be incredible if there are people listening to our show who don't know who Will Smith is. I know, right? And we're, like, completely molding their view of cinema. Everyone knows who Will Smith is. <laughs> that would mean, like, all of the information they're getting about movies or television is coming from us. Yeah. <laughs> that would be terrible. Just kidding.